open it up to the book of the Revelation. We've been teaching out of Revelation 2 and 3, and this will be our last message on the seven churches of Asia. And we entitled the series, as you recall, I believe it was eight weeks ago now, maybe just seven. But we entitled it, What Would Jesus Say If the Lord Were Able in His Flesh? Now, I understand the Lord speaks. He speaks by His Spirit, so obviously the Lord can speak to us today. But if it were possible, again, that He were to come this morning and stand before us in the flesh and share with us what He sees in the life of His church, some, some commendation, some admonishment, some rebuke, some encouragement. What, all of, what, what would all of that sound like? And so we just began exploring a number of weeks ago now exactly what He would say by studying these seven churches there in Asia that He actually did have a word for as John received His revelation. And today is the seventh and final stop on our tour through all these churches. And perhaps of all the churches, this one may be the most well-known or recognizable because it does get zeroed in on. If you grow up in certain circles and you're taught end-time events and eschatology, oftentimes the church of Laodicea is the church that is oftentimes used to epitomize the culture or the era that you and I live in today. And I mentioned to you as we began our study that I believe every church has something to say to us today, but there is little doubt that the Laodicean church is certainly a church who had many attributes that certainly can be ascribed to what we face today, not only in our culture, but even in the church world. As I studied a little bit about Laodicea, and I'll not bore you with all the details, but I have come to find out that in that particular era, when this was being written, Laodicea was a great economic center. It was one of those cities where much finance and resource would flow through the city. It was sort of a, a center for marketing and business. We're told that there was, at that particular time, a notable medical school that was there as well. And I suspect much like it is today, those that, or at least doctors and specialists, get paid quite well. Maybe those that are in the more helps ministry of the medical field may, may feel like they aren't exactly the most prospering ones. But nonetheless, lots of money, lots of finance was moving through this particular area. It had a wealthy citizenry. In fact, we're told that per capita, probably the Laodiceans had more money than any other city in the world. And this prosperity, apparently, had spilled over even into the life of the church. Now, if you hang around here long enough, you'll know very quickly that I've got no problem with prosperity. Deuteronomy 8.18 says that it is God who, on the basis of His covenant, has given you and I power to create wealth. That's what the Bible says. So God wants His people to prosper. In fact, if we study many of God's saints through the Scripture, we'll find out that they were people of means. Now, that's not to say that Jesus didn't have a heart for the poor, that He doesn't help the poor, and that some of us at this particular stage in our life could use a little more resource in our situations to pay bills. But God has no problem with prosperity. But here's the key. When God prospers you, most people get a brain cramp. In fact, that's why Paul would later say that there was a deceitfulness that surrounded riches. People get money, and as soon as they get money... You know, money is interesting to me because money can be a great insulator from the dealings of God. Isn't it amazing how oftentimes God will deal with us through our finances? If finances aren't going so hot, it really is amazing, is it not, how God can get our attention? We'll pray. We'll seek Him. We've got needs. We've got bills to pay. We want to eat. I mean, all the things that can quickly come upon us because of our financial state, it, it's an amazing thing how God can really get through to us when it comes to our finances. But the opposite is true, too, and this is the deceitfulness. And that is we can begin to prosper and we can begin to accrue uh, even great amounts of wealth. And what happens is, is that the wealth can begin to insulate us from the dealings of God for a while. For a while. And even God can break through that. Sometimes it just takes a little bit longer. 
because we can pay our way out of our situations. We can, we can finance our way out of our challenges. And, and so prospering is not bad, but prospering has to be understood in its kingdom context. And here in Laodicea, the church was being prospered, and that's a good thing. It was a great blessing. But unfortunately for the Laodiceans, what God meant to be a great blessing ended up being one of their greatest problems. I mean, all of us have seen, have we not, on the news, the lottery winners. And what does a lottery winner do, usually, once they win all those millions? I mean, I mean, you hand somebody millions of dollars that has never handled money before, and that, those millions will get transitioned to someone else in a hurry. So that's exactly what's going on, so to speak, in the church of Laodicea. I, I, I was away this week. Uh, Trace and I were able to go to uh, a little town called Reserve, Louisiana, at the beginning of the week. And uh, we met with some pastors, and it was an encouraging time. And uh, whenever you go to a, a pastor's uh, retreat or conference or whatever it is, you get to hear all the updated funny stories. So I got you a funny story this morning. So you want to write this one down because you'll want to tell it somewhere before the week's out. But the story goes like this. There was an older gentleman, a widowed man. He'd lost his wife. He'd been suffering from some health issues and he had to go to the doctor because of the health issues and all the other things that were going on in his life. And the doctor gave him some instructions as he was in there and and released him after the instructions, and it wasn't but a couple days later, as the doctor was walking through town, he happened to see this older gentleman that uh, he had uh, examined a few days earlier, flying down the road in a brand new little sports car. He had a he had a young lady in the other seat that was hanging on his arm, over half his age, uh, younger, and the doctor sort of saw it and was kind of surprised because. He was aware of all the health issues that he had come in to see him about. And, and so a few days later, he had run into this gentleman and he said, you know, I saw you the other day. I saw you in that brand new flashy sports car speeding down the street. And I, I saw that young thing that was on your arm. And, you know, she's, you know, over half your age younger than, than you are. And I, I was just a little bit concerned because I knew the health issues that you were facing. And I, I just wondered if you really understood what it was that I had asked you to do. And this older gentleman said, well, doctor, I did exactly what you told me to do. And the doctor said, well, what is it that you think I asked you to do? He said, well, you said that I was to find me a hot mama and be cheerful. And the doctor looked at him and said, what do you mean? I told you to find yourself a hot mama and be cheerful. I told you that you had a heart murmur and be careful. How many of you know some people only hear what they really want to hear? Is that not true? Some people only hear what they really want to hear. And it works that way, unfortunately, in the life of the church as well, does it not? We only hear what we want to hear. We'll hear the God's prospering me, bless me, heal me, help me. I mean, that's God is good. And, and, and you know, and then they go off and they abuse it. Or they'll say, you know, I'm, I'm under grace. I, God's loving, forgiving, and merciful. And then they'll go out and presume on it. Sometimes we only hear what we want to hear. And so we've got to hear all that God's saying. And, and here at Laodicea, despite the fact that apparently uh, they are blessed, or at least feel they are blessed, the Lord says there's some other things that you're going to need to address here. And so I've called the lesson this morning, the time to get your passion back. The time to get your passion back. And let's read about them right now. Revelation 3, 14, it says, And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans, right? These things says the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you're neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit. The actual Greek word is emeo. 
Years ago, there was an evangelist that used to preach on this at camp meeting. And I'll never forget, he would get to the place as he would share. <coughs> and he would say, all of a sudden, the Lord will say, no! I will spew you out. I, I, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing. And do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich, and white garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. You know, it's interesting. There are some people who see in the natural, but they don't get it. They really can't see what's going on. I mean, I'm amazed in the world we live in. They see, but they don't see. Do you know what I'm saying? They really don't see it. They don't get it. That's what he's saying here. Verse 19, as many as I love. Isn't this amazing? God says, I love you, Laodicea. As many as I love, I rebuke. Hallelujah. The Lord loves me. He rebuked me. Is that not odd? It should be. Because most of us don't think that God loves us unless he enables us. Or endorses us. But he says, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten or discipline. Therefore, he says, be zealous. Everyone say zealous. The modern day word for zealous is passionate. Be passionate and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice, opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the church. And again, our lesson is time to get your passion back. Now, the more that I studied and meditated and thought about the Laodiceans, I'm convinced that they were measuring their spirituality by the wrong tape measure. Apparently, as we read it here, they were so blessed, they were so prosperous in the natural that they had somehow been blinded to their true spiritual condition. Their needs were met. They had money on the scene. They were able to go about and do the economic things that all of us do in our everyday ordinary life. But Jesus said this. Jesus said, despite the fact that you say you're rich, despite the fact that your needs are met, despite the fact that you have everything at your disposal, he says, I want to make sure that you see what I see. And the Lord says, what I see in your spiritual condition is that you are neither hot nor cold, but you are lukewarm. You are tepid. And what he means by that is he says, yes, your needs are met, but you are passionless. Passionless. And I want you to hear this very, very carefully, because I didn't say it. I want you to know that it says it right there. Jesus says, that makes me sick. Passionlessness. He said, it makes me sick. Now, let's talk a little bit about passion, because a lot of times I don't think we always understand this. Let me, let me give you a, a definition of what is true spiritual passion. What is true spiritual passion? The best definition that I've come up with is this. It is intense love and commitment. Intense love and commitment. That's what it means to be passionate. Now, in the political arena, it's interesting. Because whenever a, a, a man, or now women, determine they want to run for, let's say, the President of the United States, and whenever they're beginning to decide whether or not this is something they want to do, oftentimes this question will be asked of them. Do you have a fire in the belly? A fire in the belly. Now, what that means is, a fire in the belly, is that there is something internally going on on the inside of you. Something that, that, that rages by way of fire that causes you to have the disposition to walk through all the rigors of what the campaign trail will be all about. 
something to face all the challenges that are about ready to come upon you, the difficulties that will begin to be tossed your direction if you decide to run to be the president of the United States. How many of you realize that if you're going to be president, your life's going to be under a microscope? I mean, there are going to be people digging through your tax forms and digging through legal papers and digging through your past and they'll go back to your high school yearbooks and your grade school teachers and they're, they're, they're going to look for anything and everything they can use to twist and turn and somehow defeat you with that thing and they'll look, they'll look at presidential candidates and they'll say, if you really want to do this, you better be sure you got a fire in the belly. Well, Jesus says this. Jesus says that if you're going to be a part of his disciples and and if you're going to be a part of what he is up to, you need to be sure you've got your spiritual passion because you realize there are going to be rigors and there are going to be difficulties and there are going to be challenges. And you better be sure you have a fire in your belly if you intend to finish what you get started if you're walking with him. You know, I love to read history and You've heard me before talk about different people in history and I'm just amazed at what people in other eras have done for the gospel. I mean, there are people in our own era that I could mention to you in China and in Muslim countries that are absolutely uh, amazing when it comes to their commitments and their passion to Jesus Christ. But, but uh, you know, I'm a Whitfield fan, I'm a Wesley fan. And, and Whitfield, I know, just by way of study, that he rode thousands of miles on horseback in the 18th century to share the gospel. He'd jump on his horse, nauseated, sick, rain, sleet, elements, all of this in order to share the gospel to the colonies. And after a while, you ask yourself the question, why would you do that? Why would anybody do some of the things we read about these people doing? Why would they do it? Well, it's because of passion. They have a spiritual passion. But when we see passion today, we tend to think it looks weird. We tend to think that passion is really too radical or or, or what I hear oftentimes, somehow it's out of balance. I find it fascinating that the day we live in, if you were to use the term fundamentalist, that that term is almost considered derogatory in our culture. Yet I would think that everybody who loves the Lord would have some fundamental core values that they would sacrifice themselves for, maybe even die for, if that presented itself. Christians are dying in other countries just for living out their faith. But here in America, we've developed sort of a culture of being balanced. And our balance, and what balance basically means in America is, I'm just, I'm not that hot, but I'm not that cold. I'm just kind of lukewarm. Let me ask you just a question. I'll ask this to the guys and to the ladies, both of you. Just think about this for just a minute. And you think about your relationship, particularly if you're married. I mean, do you really want your spouse to be lukewarm to you? I mean, I've used this illustration before. And I'll use it again. If you're walking, let's just say, uh, you're walking, guys, with your wife. And you're walking through the mall. Doing a little window shopping. Just sort of enjoying the afternoon. And then all of a sudden, this... This pretty young thing walks by the other direction. And as you're walking there arm in arm with your wife, your neck goes. And your wife all of a sudden goes, what are you doing? And you say, well, what do you mean? What am I doing? She says, what are you doing? And you say, well, honey, I'm just being balanced. Well, guys, she's going to balance you with a two by four right up the side of your head is what she's going to do. She doesn't want you to be balanced, nor do you want her to be balanced. You want, you want, you want your spouse to be, no pun intended, hot. You want them to be totally focused on you. In fact, I've, I've visited with many couples when they've gone through struggles, when they've just reached the place, even in their relationship, where one of them will look and they'll say, you know, I just want them to be hot or I want them to be cold, but I can't take this sort of, sort of, kind of in the middle stuff anymore. That's exactly, listen to me, what Jesus feels about his bride. Do you understand? We are his bride. That is a gender neutral thing. We are his bride and he wants us to be passionate about him. Because he is absolutely passionate about us. you got to understand, he's 100% towards you. 
He loves you. He's committed to you. He's so passionate about you. Can you believe this? He laid his life down for you. That's how passionate Jesus is for you. He died for you. There is no duplicity in the heart of the Lord. There is nothing in him that says, well, I'm going to kind of be balanced. You know, I'll just, I'll just kind of, sort of, maybe love him and, you know. No, that's not it at all. He says, I love you 24-7. You can count on it. I, I love you. And, and he says, these are the two things I ask of you. The only two things upon which all the rest of the do's and don'ts hang on these two things. He says, I want you to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and all thy mind and all thy strength. And again, you don't have to be a Greek scholar to know this, that all means all. He wants you all. He says, and then I want you to love your neighbor as you love yourself. All. Whenever I see that word, all my heart, all my mind, all my soul, all my strength. Whenever I read that, I say this to myself. There's not much balance in that statement. It's all. He wants all of me, not a part of me. See, this is, the, this is the unique thing I think about our congregation. Or at least it's the unique thing about me. Maybe it's not you, but at least it's me. Is that I'm really not asking you to make Jesus a part of your life. Don't you give him part of your life. Because that's not what he's asking for. He's asking for all of your life. Everything you've got, he's asking for it all. He doesn't want to be just a a little addendum on the side of everything you do. He wants to be in the center of everything you do. But if we see that in a Christian, we tend to think them to be strange, them to be out of balance. And we need to realize that we live in a culture that is sleepy and it is lethargic and it is apathetic. And you need to understand right now that if you begin to walk with some passion about your Lord, people are going to look at you. There are going to be some church folks that will look at you like you've lost your mind. Now, you just might as well saddle up and get ready because that's going to happen. Not only that, Satan corrupts it. He corrupts every good thing. Even Satan corrupts passion. Because nowadays we have people who are religious that are strapping bombs to their backs and walking into restaurants and malls and other places in the Middle East and blow everything up. And so now we have people that look at us and say, well, if you're really passionate about your religion, then what makes you different than them? What makes us different than them is is that their God says that they're to die for him, whereas our God said he died already for us. That's the difference. So I don't have to go blow myself up in a mall to prove that I love him. He's already died for me. But he does expect me to love him all out. Now, I want to give you just a couple things here quickly that may help you. You may not be passionless. You may have great passion. But like I said before, it's always good to listen to even the difficult passages so we can avoid the very appearance of evil. So let's talk for just a moment about how people become passionless or how people become lukewarm. Let me just give you some suggestions because this is usually the way that happens in people's lives that we find ourselves slowly becoming tepid or lukewarm in our relationship. Number one is that we allow something precious to suddenly become familiar. Something precious to become familiar. The reason we lose our passion sometimes in our marriages or we lose our passion about our families and we lose our passion about our jobs, let's say, and other things is because once you're in it long enough, the newness wears off. And it's just old hat. It's not like it was in the beginning. That's why people jump sometimes in and out of relationship and marriage because they like the new because the new brings back with it that feeling of passion. But what happens is is that they substitute this feeling for what is very precious and spiritual things work exactly the same way you know you know for some of us let me just share this with you you know for trace and myself we came out of a denominational background that was very formal you know and rigid and 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 it was ritualistic and i'm not saying there's anything wrong with those things those things may have their place but i remember when the lord began to really work in our lives and we became passionate about the things of god and it just didn't work and it didn't fit where we were where we were located, and, and so we had to make some really some sacrificial decisions. And so we made those sacrificial decisions about how you praise God and the work of the Holy Spirit and whether we believe that, 
that there was healing today and miracles today and all the things we made, there were some sacrifices and prices that were paid. And so consequently, the things of the Spirit are very precious to us. The things of the Spirit and how the Spirit moves, those things are really, really precious in in, in my life and in my wife's life. Now, this is the part, and I'd say it to my son or I'd say it to any second generation full gospel person. It's this. If you grow up in it and you're around it a lot and it becomes old hat to you, it no longer becomes precious. And when it becomes familiar, you're, you're, you're standing at the edge of something that you can find yourself dropping into that which is lukewarm. You can't allow the precious to become familiar. In fact, you're going to have to do some things I'll mention in just a moment in order to avoid that. But that's one way. Number two, people become lukewarm because they need people's approval. They, we just need people's approval. And, and, and truth of the matter is, is that if you're wanting the approval of everyone around town, I will guarantee you they will turn your thermostat down. If your family and your friends can't talk you out of your commitment to Jesus Christ, then they will do their best to make sure they keep it as cool as possible. Sure they will. Oh, you don't, you don't have to be that radical. Come on. Look at everyone else. No one else is as radical as you are. No one else does what you do. No one else, you know. Why, I don't see, I don't see. You know, you're just, you got to keep things in perspective. you got to keep things in balance. No, I'll be lukewarm like you. I want to keep my passion. I want to I keep my, 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 my sense of, of loyalty. I love, I love my friends. I love my family. I love, I love all the support systems that are around me. But I'm to love the Lord thy God first and foremost. Amen. I understand you swim upstream in Charleston, South Carolina when you start touching family. I understand. Number three, we've allowed arrogance or pride to increase over time. That's, that's what I mentioned earlier about the been there, done that attitude. Arrogance always tends to follow affluence. I'll say that again. Arrogance always tends to follow affluence. Because in our society, what we say is this. If you have money or you make money, therefore you must be an expert. No. No, you can be a con man. Sure you can. You can be an inside trader. Your integrity can be absolutely lacking. That doesn't mean anything. But in our society, we tend to say, if I can accrue earthly things, then somehow or another, I, I, I am an expert. And that's not true at all. And so arrogance tends to, to follow affluence if it's not monitored. Now, this is the thing that God's looking for. Listen to me. He's looking, and I'm prophesying, he's looking for millionaires with goats that can get it through their hands to finance kingdom things. See, that's what he's looking for. I mean, who'd have thought a goat farm could make millions? Well, you know what? God looks at it and says, I'll make it do that. Amen. But, It's got to be monitored to make sure that we're not allowing arrogance to enter in. Number four, lukewarmness comes when we are visionless. The scripture says here that they needed eye salve by which to see. Visionless. They couldn't see. They couldn't see the future. They didn't understand what was coming. They didn't really get that there was a day when when we were going to stand before a living judge, Lord, who will parcel out rewards who will give admonishments where everything is rectified, total justice comes to pass. They are visionless with regards to what God's asking them to do and His will and His future and His purposes. And when you're visionless, it's easy to become passionless. And then number five, they fill their life with options that solicit their affections. They fill their lives with options that solicit their affections. Money and wealth can be a wonderful blessing. However, it can also fill your life with distractions that can cause your heart to wander. You you know, this is a uniquely American problem because Christians in second world nations and third world nations really don't face a lot of the things we face today. And it's this. They don't have the same options as we have. We as Americans, and and as Americans I think we encompass, I believe, somewhere around 7% of the world's population. We're also the 
There's 7% of the most affluent people in the world. I mean, even, even right now, if you're receiving monies, you know, subsidy monies from the government, you're, you're still living a quality of life that's ostensibly um, uh, exponentially better than those in second and third world nations. I realize it doesn't feel that way because of the absolute incredible affluence we have as a nation. But even, even the poorest of us have options that people in other countries don't have. I mean, all you have to do is travel once to Honduras or, or go to Nicaragua or, or even Russia at one particular time because we saw it there. There are people who are believing God for their next meal. I mean, we don't face that. We know we're going to eat somewhere and we'll find a way to eat. But, but here's the deal. We, we, we have, we, we, we have filled our lives with things that solicit our affections, uh, you know, uh, Clay was mentioning to me, and I, and I want to be delicate because I know this goes on internet and on tapes and other things. I was told the other day, man, we're, our website is getting a, an incredible number of hits with regards to downloading of messages that are going all over the world. It blows me away when I think, you know, here Legacy is, you know, at, at this particular location and this particular site, and we're preaching the gospel all over the world right now. Right now, we're preaching the gospel all over the world. Yeah, to God be the glory. Because... <laughs> Because we just stumbled into that. That wasn't a brainstorm or anything. We just stumbled into the will of God there. Uh, but Clay had just mentioned to me he was aware of, a, of a, a particular youth group that in order to help solicit the kids in order to come to youth, I mean, you know, tell me if I'm wrong. Wasn't it like six large screen television sets that were placed? I mean, we're talking thousands of dollars in large screens. Five? Fifteen. Fifteen large screen television sets and and with all the bells and whistles and you know the xboxes and all the rest in order to bring the kids in and 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 i guess when it was unveiled or opened up there was only about three or four kids on the 15 tvs now why is that why wouldn't they want all this it's because why have it when, when we've got two of those at home already we've got other options and so what we do is we try to figure out how in the world we're going to give people a better option by coming to the house of God. So a lot of times we'll just, we'll try to throw some new glitz, new, new, new thing, new banner, new technology. Come see us. We're a better option than the world. And I'm to the place where I have concluded this, that if God's presence comes, that's the best option. I mean, what more could there be? Because nothing else will satisfy. We could put 15 large screens in your house and it wouldn't satisfy you in a month. Some of you have things sitting in your garage right now that you did the happy dance when you bought it. You were thrilled that you finally got whatever it is and now it sits in your garage. There are things in your house right now. You bought it and you did the happy dance and oh, I can't believe I got that. And now you're hanging your clothes on it when you come home from work. Because it doesn't satisfy you. We won't even talk about your attic. We won't even go there. You know, we, you, you know how it works in the Baird house. We flip houses or we, we try to every now and then. And, and, you know, about every two or three years, you know, if, if we move to a different location, we're going through everything. And it's amazing how you look at something and you say, I remember when I really was in love with this and I could care less about this now, you know, and, and what you're going to keep and what you're going to throw out. And it's because we've got, we've got so many options. And what happens is we've got so many options that our heart goes to all of those options. Our heart begins to be parceled out to all these different things. Until finally, Jesus just becomes another piece, not the whole heart, just another piece that we parcel out. He's kind of like the jet ski. Sure he is. You'll, you'll ride him when you really need it. You know, Jesus, Jesus is just, you know, Jesus is like, you know, the five motorcycles I have. And, you know, Jesus is just this option. And that's why we're, that's why we're lukewarm. It's because we parceled out our heart. And then number six, sorry, I have one more. They do not unite with other passionate people. Why do people become lukewarm? It's because we don't want to hang around passionate people. Can I just say this? I wrote this down here. If you hang out with dead wood, don't be surprised if you find yourself slipping. 
Now, I, I believe that all of us have a responsibility to reach out to people and, and we're supposed to draw people in. But this is what I believe. I believe that all of us are to be the thermostat and not the thermometer. We're not to reflect the atmosphere. We're to set the temperature. And, and so you need to realize that if you're going to hang out with Deadwood, that your ministry, I'm prophesying to you right now, this is your ministry, thus saith the Lord, get them on fire. That's your ministry is that you're to do something to light them up and get them up and going. Their ministry is not to drag you down to Deadsville. And so you got to make sure you're finding yourself, at least on occasion, around some people that's got some fire in their bones. If you can't keep your fire all the time, then make sure you're around somebody who's got a little fire so that flame will rub off on you again and get those embers stirred up in your life again. But if you want to hang around death all the time, you're going to be dead. Amen. So how do you get it back? I'm going to do this quickly. How do we get our passion back? I want my passion back. I, I, you know, I, I, watch, I watch young people and, and, and I enjoy going to young people's things and whether it's conferences or winter events or whatever and I see the passion of young people. And I understand that, that when you're a young person oftentimes that your passion, your, your passion is almost, uh, how do I want to say this, it can be a substitute for maturity. Because you're passionate, but sometimes you're not always mature, whether it be in your decision making or your choices or whatever the case may be, but you got passion. And then, of course, we get older and hopefully we mature as we begin to age and walk with the Lord and get older. But here's our problem. Our problem is we think that maturity means you get to lose your passion. And that's wrong. You should be as passionate as you were the day you were saved. You're just mature in it now. We think that, that we reach the place where we can just sort of be tepid and lukewarm and it's because I'm mature. No, it's not. You're dead. You're dead. You need to get your passion back. And here's what I'm believing for. I'm, I'm 47 years old. Here at the end of the year, I'm going to be 48 years old. And I know some of you are saying he's still a young man and thank you and that's why I love you and that's why I want you to hang around because I need people to keep looking at me saying, Pastor, you're a young man. But one of these days, I'm going to be an old man. But glory to God, I'm not, I'm not planning on losing my passion. I, you know, I've already said I'm preaching the gospel in my 90s. And when I'm in my 90s, I'm going to be pacing back and forth here. And I'm still going to be hollering. And I might not have much get up and go, but the little get up is going to get up. And it's going to go. And we got to get our passion back. How do you get that back? Come on now. Some of you are, you're, right now you're going, man, I don't know, I don't know. Hey, come on, just get your passion back. Get the fun back in serving the Lord. Be a mystery to the world. Be an enigma to them. Number one, the first thing we do is we repent for our lack of passion. Now listen to me, this is a very important point. This, this point will apply in so many areas of your life. Most of us think, that this is what we do. When we hear what we're supposed to be doing because we haven't been doing it, what we do is we start doing it. So, so what some will do this morning, they'll say, well, you know, pastor's probably right, and I need to get my passion back and need to begin doing that, and so I'm going to start being more passionate. Well, that in and of itself is okay, and it sounds good, but listen to me. Listen to me. The reason it doesn't last is because we didn't get the past nailed down, taken care of, the door closed and broken away from. You see, the atonement for sin is not you just doing right. Otherwise, that would be a works gospel, would it not be? Amen. Yes, it is. That's good, That's good doctrine. So what you need to do is you need to say, you know what? I haven't been passionate. And truth is that I need to be passionate. And you know what? I was wrong, Lord, because you said to me I was to be zealous for you. I was to be passionate for you. So I repent. I agree with what you said, Lord, that your people are to be passionate. You want a passionate bride. So I repent from how I've been. I ask forgiveness for how I've been. And Lord, infuse me with fire in order that I can keep walking passion out with you. Amen. And you're going to find yourself in a far better position to retain that if you'll begin to repent for it. Number two, hang around people who have the fire. Hang around people who have the fire. Now, again, I want to be delicate, and, and I don't want you to take something out of my statement that I'm going to make and turn it into something I don't mean. There are wonderful churches, 
you know, wonderful places and fellowships that we all can go to. But you know what? If you're in a place that's dead as a doornail and you wonder why you can't keep your passion, it isn't going to take umpteen hours of counseling to figure this one out. If you're in a dead church and wonder why you're dead, there's probably a connection. Let's connect the dots. We need to hang around some life. I understand if you're there in order to help and and be a testimony and a light and a witness and you're to be the thermostat, hallelujah, God bless you, I'm glad you're called to do that. But you better keep a close monitor on your spiritual condition. Otherwise, you're going to find yourself like the frog in the kettle who didn't know that things were changing. For me, I have to go find the fire. I do that as a pastor. We sure do. Tracy and I, we we look at each other and we say this, I need to go somewhere, find someone that's got the fire. And I want a little of that fire. And we'll go find a fire. The people you're hanging around douse your flame, then quit hanging around their bucket. I mean, until you've got a bonfire going like goes out in, you know, California or now Georgia or other Florida or other places where they can't even douse it with water. You need a flame like that that can't be doused by other people's water. Then you're probably called to light something else up. Hang around people who have the fire. Number three, how do you get your passion back? Open yourself up to the manifest presence of the Lord. I didn't say just the the omnipresence, I said the manifest presence. And you know there's a difference. You know, God is here, he's there. The psalmist said, where can I go? And, and God's not there. And what he meant was, is that you can't go anywhere, that God isn't there. But there are those moments we see in Scripture where God's presence comes in a unique and special way. He manifests his presence. His glory invades the scene. There's something tangible, something you sense it's, it's maybe not something you can see, but your sensors are going off saying the presence of God is here. I, I sense that the Lord is in this situation. And when you get in the presence of God, there's something that begins to happen inside of all of us that gets passionate again. We begin to long for him. We begin to love him. We begin to reach out for him. In Revelation 3.20, this is the verse oftentimes we use to present to people who should receive Jesus Christ For the first time as their Lord and Savior. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hears my voice, opens the door, comes in, you know, I will come into him, sup with him, he with me. We all know the verse. But can I just put it in context? Jesus wasn't talking to the pagans or the heathens. He wasn't talking to the world. He was knocking at the door of a church. The church of Laodicea. Knocking at the door. Saying, hey church folk. Hey, will you open yourself up to my presence? Can I come in and eat with you and dine with you? I don't want to visit you. I want to live with you. I want to dwell with you. Are you hearing me? Don't pray. Please, let's just stop praying for a visitation. Let's pray for a habitation. Let's just, let's just let the mall glow in the dark with the presence of God. Let's just believe that he's looking for an address where he can set up shop. And his presence can dwell. And when people come in, they sense something different. And it's not just because we're friendly and we shake their hand and hug their neck. But they sense God is here. God's here. God's here. And you've got to open yourself up to that. You understand? He, I've heard this from people that have been in church for decades. They say, well, if God wants me to have something, he'll just lay it on me. No, he won't. He's going to knock at your door and find out if you're going to open yourself up to it. He'd he'd violate your will six ways from silly if he just just laid it on you. That's our excuse for not wanting to pursue God with our passion at times. Open yourself up. Say, Lord, I want your presence. I want you to come into my life and give me your presence. I understand theologically, does Jesus live in a saved person theologically? You're right, he does. Sure enough. But let me tell you, a lot of people who are saved are living like hell. And they need their passion back. And they need his presence back. And then number four, I put down here, choose to remove your options. Choose to remove your options. Do you know why a guy who has 50 girlfriends doesn't understand love and commitment?
He's got too many options. He's got too many options. If you don't work out, there's another option. If that person doesn't work out, I got this option. Too many, too many options. Why, why give my heart away when I've got so many options? When you choose one option, you have to learn how to maintain your passion. When you've got one option, I, you know, you, you're married, we've been married 25 years, and there have been some wonderful, great, amazing days, and there have been some really tough, challenging, difficult days in our relationship. But here's the deal, you know, you may, you may think whatever, however the Bairds navigate this thing, you may, you may agree, you may disagree, but here's one thing in our household, our options are settled. We've settled our options. So, you know what? I've got to figure out how I'm going to maintain my passion, and she's got to figure out how she's going to maintain her passion. That's what you've got to do. You've got to cut out your options. I see people go from putting in the pool to getting the boat to buying the jet ski to getting the beach house to getting the mountain house to buying the motorcycles to get the next thing to renovate the room, to do all of these things. And they're looking for something to fill up what will only be filled up by a passion for Jesus Christ. Let me tell you something. If you got a jet ski, call me up and I'd love to go with you. I'm glad you've got one. If you've got a pool, call us up and we'll come swim in it. I'm glad you've got one. If you've got a condo at the beach, i sure love to have the key to that sometime and I'll go stay in it. I'm glad you've got it. Don't you misunderstand what I'm trying to say. I'm not... I'm not trying to say that's bad. I'm glad God has blessed you and prospered you. If you've got four, five, six houses, amazing. I just, I rejoice with you that God would be so good. But I'm telling you, I don't care how much stuff you've got, you've got to keep your passion for God. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Absolutely. Absolutely. Those things aren't evil. What the Laodiceans had was not evil. This stuff isn't evil. They're clothed. How many of you know it's good to have clothes? They had need, they had very few needs. Isn't, wouldn't that be a wonderful place in your life to get to the place where you have very, very few needs? Isn't that not cool? That's not evil. To be able to be wealthy and to stash things away in, in order to give an inheritance to your children and your children's children. I mean, that's, that's cool. That's good. That could even be God. But when it causes you to be passionless, it becomes your sin. Jesus wants a passionate bride to meet him in the air one day. He's looking for a bride that's longing and saying, I want the husbandman back. I'm I'm, I'm passionate for him. I understand some passion can look immature, and sometimes it is. But you know what? I'm oftentimes wondering if it's better to err on the side of a little immature passion than it is on mature deadness. I told you this story. Some of you may have heard it. Some of you may not have heard it. But when I was first born again, of course, God called me into the ministry not long after that. And, and we, uh, we went to a Christian college. And there at the Christian college, they had just begun the football program. And so they were recruiting football players to come in. And some of them were Christians. They were good young men, wanted to play football, would give glory to God. But there were some they were recruiting that didn't know the Lord. And uh, they were just causing a real difficult time on campus. Well, we just decided, now again, this was immature zeal. I'm not, I'm not saying that this was right. I'm not saying that uh, we did what was right. I'm just saying this is what we did. We went out one night, middle of the night, sat out in the middle of the football field. There were about four or five of us. Just grabbed hands together. We began to pray. We began to pray for the fire of God to come down. Because, bless God, this, this, this football program was dragging the spirit of revival down from the school. I mean, that's, uh, I don't know whether, like I said, whether we were right or wrong. That's just, we were just maybe immature, probably were. But one of the things I'll never forget, right there in the middle of the field, we start saying, oh God, open up the heavens and send down your consuming arm of fire and just consume it all. Never realizing that if he would have done it at that moment, we would have been the sacrifice that would have gone up with the whole thing. I'll never forget one of those big guys. He was a big old lineman. I mean, he was a big old boy. And, and, and you know, they'd heard, you know, what we were up to. And, you know, these are big old boys. 
And he found me in the Smith Religion building, and he came up to me, and he kind of was poking on me, you know. you got to realize I'm only about 19, 20 years old at the time. And he's, he goes, we hear what you're doing, and we want, you, we want you to know that this and that. And I forgot what all he said. You know, just kind of poking, and I'm just kind of getting the... Finally, I just said, I want you to know that I'm a man of God, and you don't touch the anointing, or you'll die. But we love you in Jesus' name. <laughs> I mean, it was about like that. I mean, I'm probably using a little liberty there. But it was a lot like that. Passion. Where does that kind of passion go? There was a person who asked Whitfield. They said to George Whitfield, why is it that people go out to pastures and outside of town and, and they listen to you and they won't fill up the churches and they won't go into the, into the lovely Uh, constructed churches and listen to the gospel there. Why is it they'll go out to fields, thousands of them, and listen to you speak? And it was Whitfield who said the words that God lights John Whitfield on fire and the people come to watch him burn. You got your passion. You don't have to be a full-time preacher to be passionate. I'm not paid to be passionate. I'm not supported to be passionate. Don't walk out of here and say, well, that's your position. You're the pastor. You're supposed to be passionate. No, I'm a Christian. And I'm supposed to be passionate. And you'd be amazed at what God could do in your passion. You'd just be absolutely amazed. And I'm telling you, the last church he speaks to, and whether or not we can use it to apply to our current era or not, it probably does, when we're looking at a very sleepy apathetic, lethargic, passionless church. They're raising the dead in Nigeria. Heard Miss Vivian say that that they get on buses before the sun comes up over the horizon. And they get to church and they better be there before 5 a.m. because they lock the door at 5 a.m. If you're going to pray at that church, you're going to be there before 5 a.m. And if you don't make it before the door is locked, you're to sit on the porch of the church and wait until pastor's done praying, and then he'll come rebuke you. You couldn't do that in America. We got too many options. And we don't raise the dead. Because we've got discount tickets on our our plots and our headstones and But even in America, if he finds a people that get their passion back, oh, God will do things that you have only dreamed. He always uses the outlandish bunch to change the spiritual landscape. Amen. Stand with me, will you? Holy Spirit, I ask you right now, would you come in this place and just begin to stir the embers. Stir the embers of hearts here today. Lord, there's no measuring stick that I can personally place up to someone's life to determine their passion level. I I can't do that. I, I, I have no way of knowing. But Lord, you have a way of doing this. You have a way of of speaking, talking, convicting even, of where we are with regards to our passion. And Lord, I want to ask you this morning to come and to stir us up again unto flame. Lord, send your fire to us today that we might be ignited once again to be passionate for you. Lord, I, I know right now, not everybody has a personality like mine and they aren't going to holler, yell, and do like I do, but Lord, they can be passionate as you have uniquely created them. They can be passionate out of their personality. They can be passionate out of their circumstance, Lord, and they know, they know whether or not they have been. And so, Lord, I just ask you today, would you send the fire to ignite us, to turn the temperature up on us, Lord, we don't want to be lukewarm. We want to be hot after you. And Lord, I pray right now in the name of Jesus that you begin 
to stir the embers right now. This is what I want to ask right now. There's really, I'm going to give one altar call, but there's two parts to one altar call right now. If you've never opened up your heart to Jesus Christ, and right now you're saying, you know what, I, passion, I'm, I'm dead, I'm dead in my trespasses, I'm dead in sin, I, I'm not right with God, I need to get right with God. Let me tell you something, you perhaps are, are, the, are the greatest candidate for a work in your life today because God loves raising things up from the dead. He loves igniting things. Remember when, when Elijah poured the water on all the wood and it was soaked, but God sent a fire and ignited that soaked wood. He can do that in you today. He can, he can absolutely, from, from where you are right now, ignite you into that which he wants you to be. So that's the first group. If you've not ever said yes to Jesus, you need, in just a moment, when, when I open up the front, for you just to slip out... You're going to see a number of people come forward. So right now, just make up your mind, you're going to come. You're going to come and say, Lord, by coming, I'm going to get my life right, my heart right, and I'm going to say yes to you. But then there's this second group. Now, listen to me carefully. I, you, you may not have been out there in gross sin. I, who knows? If you have been, then you do need to repent from that. But I'm finding that if you don't monitor it, you can lose your fire. You can lose your passion. Now, I understand we don't want to call that sin, but I don't know what else you call it. It was Wesley who said that anything that steals my passion, anything that steals my fire, to me it has become sin. So it could be a perfectly legitimate thing, but it's stealing your passion. Now, now you've got to say, Lord, I'm getting my priority back where it needs to be with you. Back where it needs to be with you. Clay, can you uh, come and join me just for a minute and... And just begin to strum a little in the back for me. But right now, I want you to decide right now, do you want the fire back? Maybe, maybe you're on top. I, I, again, I'm not your judge. I'm not going to stand as any man's judge. I love everybody exactly the same. But I'm telling you, I bet if I were a betting man, there's some people who are, who are saying right now, I want my passion and my fire back. Well, here's your chance. If that's you, just come join me right now. Just join me. I'm going to pray that God will send the fire right now. Just come on. Just join me right now. I want my passion back right now. Thank you, Lord. If you're coming and saying, I want, I want to get my life right, then you need to slip forward and get your life right. Just come on. I'm going to, I'm going to pray for the fire here in just a moment. We're going to let the fire begin to fall again and ignite you and ignite your heart. Let the fire fall. Let the fire fall. Let the fire fall. In Yosemite Park, in the evening times, they light up a big barrel of coal and they drop it off the edge of a cliff. And the people at the bottom watch this firefall take place. And as, as they're pushing the wheelbarrow and the embers over the edge, you hear a voice that cries out that says, Let the fire fall. Lord, let the fire fall today. Lord, it's hot outside, but I pray you turn the temperature up in the inside here in our hearts and lives. Come on now. You got to right now, you have to seek God. Come now and say, Lord, let the fire fall on me again. Let the fire fall on me. Come on now. You got to start seeking God and hunger for God right now. I want us all to do this. If you're coming and you're getting your life right with the Lord, it's important, and all of us are going to join with you right now, but I want you to pray this prayer as you get your heart in tune and positioned to receive that fire. I want everyone to join with me right now when they say these words. Say it with me. Heavenly Father, I come before you now, and I repent from my past, I repent from my passionlessness. And I agree with you to be zealous. I want that in my life. So I open up my heart. And I ask your presence to come. To fill me up. I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord. Not partial Lord. But full Lord of my life. I believe in my heart. He was raised from the dead to give me life and transform me. I open myself up 
to receive the fire that's unquenchable. Let it reside in me. Give me my passion for you again. I'm receiving it right now. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Amen. All right. Here we go. Here we go. Yeah. Come on now, put your hands up. You can put it at full mass, half mass, or just out there a little bit, but open yourself up right now. Come on, I'm going to speak. I'm going to speak the word now. It's not me who does this. It's the Lord who does this. He's just given me a temporary authority to release that to you right now. Come on, are you hungry for fire? Are you hungry for your passion? Thank you, Lord. Father, let it. Let the, let the coals off the heavenly altar fill up the divine wheelbarrow. Lord, push it to that open window right now that's over legacy and these people. And we cry out, Oh God! Come on, get ready. You need to cry out, Oh God! Let the fire fall! Come on now, let the fire fall. Lord, pour out those coals. Pour it upon your people. Ignite them again, oh God. Give them their passion back. Let zeal come into your people right now. The zeal of the Lord of hosts. The zeal of the Lord of hosts. Ignite ignites you right now in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Come on now, you need to say right now, thanks Lord for, for stirring the embers. Thanks Lord for blowing on my fire. Thank you Lord for stirring me up right now. Come on now, get your passion back right now. Get your pa- Come on, get your passion. Get your passion. Come on. Get your passion back. Come on, let passion fill the house. Let passion fill the house. Yes. Hear me now. Passion may be attached somewhat to your feelings, but it's not a feeling. Listen to me. If you, just, if you just say, well, I feel passionate, but what if I don't feel that tomorrow? Passion isn't about your feelings. It's about a choice. It's, it, it's about deciding that you're going to live all out. It, it's about saying, Lord, my feelings, my feelings are telling me to go back, but, but I've made the choice to go forward. And I'm going to let those stinking feelings catch up to me. Passion comes out of your spirit, not out of the soul. Come on. It comes out of God himself resides in you, in your inner man, in your spirit. And that passion, that love is in there stirring. And I know your soul is going, oh, be balanced. Oh, you don't have, you're so excessive. You're so tangential. You need to just say feelings, feelings, go in Jesus name. And I'm going to let my inner man, I'm going to walk through might and power in the inner man. And I'm going to, and and you're going to be converted feelings here in just a little bit. You're going to be transformed and you're going to catch up. Are you listening to what I'm saying? You, you need to, otherwise tomorrow morning you're going to wake up and one more time you're going to say, well, that was, that was well, pastor preached that message, but it didn't work on me. Didn't, it's because you've got to choose. You've got to choose right now. You've got to speak it right now. You've got to begin to say, I am passionate. Yes, I am. I, I, am, I am the temperature setter. I am the leader in my situations. I'm the one that's going to set it. I'm not going to reflect it anymore. They're not taking me down that wrong path. I am determined. I am determined to walk this out passionately before my God. You've got to just start saying it. And once you say it, it'll change how you think it. Are you hearing me? Speak it, then you think it. And if you begin to think properly, then what happens is your feelings catch up with how you're thinking. And then once your feelings are there, then it begins to work on your decision-making. And then once your decision-making is right, it forms an action. 
And then once your action is right, it gets you to destiny. You've got to see that. But it's going to start here by you saying, I am. I am passionate. I am all out. I do love the Lord with all of my heart, all my soul, all my mind, and all my strength. I do. I do. I know feelings are going, you're lying, you're lying, you're lying. And you just go, shut up! Because you, you are not truth. God's word is truth. This is what God's word says. Not how I feel. It's what God's word says. So I'm going to keep saying it and saying it and saying it. And I'm just going to bug the hound out of you feelings. I'm going to keep saying it and bug the tar out of you. Until you, until you stop it. And you conform, you conform to my confession. Now, see, that, that's where we're at. That your victory is in that one little point. I, I spent all this time to get that one little point. That's where your victory is right now. You hearing me? You're victorious this morning. You are victorious this morning. You're going to be a temperature setter. You're going to be a trendsetter. You know, I just, I got a hold of this. You know who we are as a people? We're not a reflector. We're a trendsetter. It's, it's time that we began to just set God's trend in the earth. And you know what? He's going to bring people that want to be trendsetters, not just reflectors. Not just, just, just not doing, well, everyone else does it. It works over there. I, you know, great, wonderful. What's God saying? What does it mean to be passionate? We're going to stick to his word and we'll set the course. Amen? Amen? We will do that. You will be some of the very ones that will do that. Father, I thank you right now for what you've done right now in these people's lives. I thank you, Lord, for all these churches that you spoke to in this, in this series and how you've spoke to our hearts out of each one. And Lord, we're responding to you as best we know how. And Lord, I thank you for this people, this congregation. I thank you, Lord, for those that are here up front. And I thank you, Lord, for those that have their passion and they're on target. I thank you, Lord, for your people right now who are committed, Lord, to live it all out for you. That's what you're calling us to do, live it all out. And Lord, we're going to live it all out with joy in our heart. We're going to live all out with the future before us. We're going to live all out forgetting what has lied behind and pressing forward to what lies ahead. Lord, we're going, to, we're going to live all out for you. And I pray, Lord, right now that this would be the time that you would seal in people's hearts the work that you have done. Especially, Lord, this morning. There are some here this morning, Lord, they need this work sealed in their hearts. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit who seals us, the word says, for our day of redemption. Lord, that you would seal this work as well. And that you would cause it not to be just a, a fleeting flame, but an enduring flame, full of passion. And Lord, I thank you. And we receive that as your body this day and are glad for a great day. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Hallelujah. All right, guys. Love the Lord. We're going to see most of you, I believe, out at, at James Island County Park. But it's going to be a great day. We'll get to spend some time together in fellowship. So don't eat a lot at lunch. Get ready to eat a lot at 4 o'clock this afternoon. God bless you. We'll see you out there.